and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again, and if you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. You can also find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Yes. Now, we have a great episode lined up today. The first segment today called It's All in the Details. Yes, because it is. It's all in the details when it comes to dog training, and it's very important that you understand what those details are, how to recognize them, and how to work with them. Then we have a brief segment on a brief history of the AKC. We'll talk a little bit about the history of the American Kennel Club. Then our Breed of the Week, followed by our listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, whether they are dog, animal-related, training-related, you name it, shoot me an email, questions at speakadogcast.com. And of course, if you guys are interested in our virtual training programs, email me at questions at speakadogcast.com. Tell me a little bit about what's going on behaviorally with your dog. We could set up a consultation from there, dive deep into the training, and set up an awesome plan that creates behavioral success for you and your pup. So let me know. would love to be a part of that training process. But before we get going with today's episode, Got to give you that trivia question. And you know, I've been giving all dog trivia questions, but as I said back way back in episode nine, I'm going to shoot you some animal trivia in there as well, some general animal trivia. And today's question is going to be, what is the fastest flying bird in the world? Yeah, what's the fastest flying bird in the world? I'll give you the answer to that question in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's a segment called It's All in the Details. That's right. When it comes to dog training, it's all about the details, the deets. Yeah. <laughs> you got to hone in on the in-between. Um, having a generalized concept, uh, a generalized understanding of the concepts is wonderful, but if you really want to take your training to the next level, if you really want to make a phenomenal dog, then it comes down to the details. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Now, first thing I want to give is a little disclaimer. Um, if you have not listened to my segments on maybe Dog Psychology 101, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, punishment, communicating with your dog, how to walk your dog, those are very important segments that you should go check out. Um, you know, today is about the details. And like I just said, you really you really need to have an understanding of the concepts of psychology and how all this kind of stuff kind of works in order to be able to dive into the details. You really can't understand the details as well and have as much success if you don't have that generalized understanding of the rules and <laughs> rules of psychology. Okay, so definitely go back, check out those other segments first. Uh, but like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk about the details today. Now, Details. There are a lot of details when it comes to training and working with animals and dogs as well. So I've had some interesting interactions lately with clients where I'm seeing that we're missing out on those details. And that's that's normal to some degree, right? Because what, what ends up happening when we do in-home training is the first session or two, at least, at least the first two sessions, we're spending a lot of time on the concepts of psychology and how they apply and working on getting those general concepts to apply with the leash work, with their dogs, with treats, with all that good stuff. And that's where we've got to start is very basic. But then once we start getting to session three, four, five, six, you know, we really start diving into it. Well, then it becomes more about getting my clients to focus and hone in on the details. 
Yes, that in-between stuff that's going to make the real difference in leaping forward in your success in your training, okay? So what kind of details are we talking about? You know, there's details like using the right tools. You can go back, listen to my segment on training tools. Uh, Check that out for sure, because those are details that matter. And look, I'll give you an example. Um, I recently started with a new client with in-home training. Uh, Actually, our first session was today. First session was today. And we had a consultation about, I think, three days, three days ago, right? Consultation three days ago, first session today. She had started working with another trainer, only two sessions in. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pick on this guy, but at the same time, he's doing a lot of things wrong. I'm sorry, but this trainer's just doing a lot of things wrong. He's not using the right tools. He's not empowering the, the owners by giving them the concepts of what these tools are. He's not working with the dog himself and just handing the leash to the owner and basically trying to tell them, figure it out by me telling you, (laughs) no showing. Uh, And he's trying to conquer things that you usually wait till session five or six, and he's trying to do in session one without doing steps one, you know, sessions one, two, and three information first. That's my humble opinion. And unfortunately, this client was getting nowhere with him. And not only that, she was actually getting injured because of the tools that this trainer was recommending she use. And at this point in training with a puppy, there was no reason to be using that tool. It's a long leash, you know. As I always say, guys, if your dog can't focus on leash with two feet of leash, then forget 20 feet of leash. Forget no leash. Okay, it's not going to happen. It always starts with gaining focus and control on two feet of leash, and then we build and go from there. Training is a lot like algebra in that sense that you can't do week 12 if you haven't done week one. It, it's all cumulative. It all, it all adds up, you know. Um, so he was trying to do week 12 in, in week one. So again, I'm not trying to pick on this guy, but man, he was doing a lot wrong. And good, good on this owner. She realized this is not working for me. I need to find a different route. And so uh, luckily she came across my info. Someone recommended me to her. And look, guys, after a consultation, her life has completely changed with her dog. Seriously. I came in there this morning for the for the session. We haven't even done a session yet. I walk in for the session and she goes, everything is completely different already just because of the collar you gave me. Night and day, world of difference in three days, all because she has the correct tool. Boy, that sounds like a detail to me, doesn't it? <laughs> a very important detail having the right tools for the job. If I'm trying to build a house and I only have a hammer, I don't think I'm going to build a very good house with only one tool. Okay. So you have to not only have more than one tool, but you have to have the right tools to be able to build, to be able to accomplish a job. Okay. So again, good on this owner for realizing that, Hey, this isn't working right. And I got to do something different. And she did. And she, man, she's awesome. She really, she is gung-ho. She is ready to make a change in her dog's life. She is trying to empower herself to make that change. And she already has in a handful of days, guys. So it's amazing with the right tools, the correct progress, the good progress you can make with your dog. So that's the first detail. May Please make sure you're using the right tools. And again, Generalized, you know, we're not talking a young puppy, but if you have a dog, if you have a puppy that's over anywhere between 12 and 15 weeks is where I start to use a martingale collar, uh, but every dog's a little different. But grown dogs, guys, use a martingale collar. Martingale, it's the best collar out there. Three-fourth nylon, one-fourth chain. Not the all-cloth martingales. Uh, just stressing it again. <laughs> Make sure you're using that martingale collar that's got the one-fourth chain on it. And, of course, a regular old six-foot nylon or leather rope 
whatever kind of leash is more comfortable for you. I will say I, another detail, guys. Um, I have a client who she's been using a rope leash, you know, one of those round rope leashes. And I personally, and, and this is a personal preference, it really is, but it's a detail that matters. I have a technique I do where I wrap the leash in my fingers and make little small corrections only having to use my wrist, but it's very difficult to do that with a rope leash. It's a lot easier with one of those flat, regular nylon leashes. Once again, a training detail in the tools that we're using. But that for me, those are the tools that get me the most success with, success with training. A regular old six foot nylon leash and a martingale collar, that's the one fourth chain. Actually, it's probably one third chain, two thirds nylon, now that I'm really thinking about it. Uh, if we wanna get exact with our fractions here. Um, but, uh, but again, Martingale and Elise. So that is the first detail I need you guys to hone in on. You gotta make sure you have the right tools. Okay, now of course, when we're going out for our walk, we also need our treat pouch and treats, small meaty treats, no crunchy treats. Make sure you're using small meaty training treats for training. But again, tools, 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 tools. That's the first detail that we have to hone in on, okay? Now, other details. How about communicating with our dog? Now, I've done segments on communicating with your dog, please go back and check them out because by far knowing how to communicate with your dog, I mean, that, that's gotta be the most important aspect of training. We have to be able to speak a dog's language, right? They can't come up to our level. We're gonna have to come down to their level. And, and in order to do that, we have to understand the language that they speak, okay? So really important that you know the language they speak. And I can tell you the language they don't speak. You ready for it? They don't speak English. <laughs> They don't speak French. They don't speak Spanish. They don't speak any language but dog. That's the language that dogs speak, okay? When a dog learns an English language, or excuse me, an English word, not an English language, when a dog learns a Spanish word, when we teach them commands in languages, they're not understanding the language. Like, you guys have to know that, right? They don't understand what we're saying. We're just pairing a stimulus with that word. And that's the only reason they understand what that word means, now, sure, do they start to understand tone, body language, all these other forms of communication? You bet. But you could also say, guys, that there's tone and barking, there's tone and growling. They communicate through body language. So those are ways that they naturally communicate with each other, but actually conversing and having a conversation is not something a dog does. And so, again, I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, but I have had a few clients lately that were literally having conversations with their dogs as we walk. Right, We walk out the door and we're narrating everything. All right, we're, we're going to go for a walk now and you're going to follow me. And okay, you got to listen now. And hey, look up at me. And, and when you know it, the dog is not looking up at them. The dog doesn't care about what they have to say. And the problem is, here's the detail, guys. You can't converse with your dog because actually what you're teaching them is to ignore you. Right? The more you sit here and have a conversation with your dog and they ignore you, then you're just teaching them to ignore you. And you'll notice when you're trying to go, okay, let's go. All right, well, look up at me. When you say look up at me, they're not giving you the time of day. <laughs> okay. When I'm walking out the door with my dog, if I, I need to think to myself, what am I trying to accomplish behaviorally right now? If I'm trying to get their focus, then I need to go, hey, hey, maybe add their name in there. I've got my puppy in here with me. He's sleeping. So why not? I'll use his name. So I'd go, hey, Riker. That's how I'm going to communicate to get my dog to look up at me. Very succinct, very small, very uh, particular words, particular tone, particular sounds that I'm using and trying to accomplish redirecting his focus at me. Those details, guys. Versus if I go, oh, right, well, we're going to do this now. And then, hey, Riker, look up at me. Look up, look, Riker. That doesn't come across 
as black and white as my version. Okay. Guys, dogs, dogs brains are only so big. <laughs> if, if I'm sitting here and carrying on and conversing and conversing, their brains literally can't handle that because they can't converse. And so it just goes in one ear and out the other. But if I keep it small, succinct, they go, hey, look at me. And I don't even say look at me. I hate that I'm saying that right now because I never say that. <laughs> uh, instead, it's hey, hey, okay. Very small, very black and white. And that gives them an opportunity to hear the information, think about it and go, oh, wait, do they want, does he want something from me? He wants me to look up. Oh, I remember in the past when I look up at this guy, I get food. But if I don't give him that opportunity to think because I'm still talking, <laughs> then forget it then forget it. It's bad communication and it's bad details. Okay. It's all in the details guys. Okay. So the way you communicate with your dog like that is so important. Please stop conversing with them and instead have a black and white communication with them. Okay. You need to ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish right now behaviorally? Okay. In that moment, I'm trying to accomplish my dog redirecting and refocusing on me, looking up at me. Okay. Second question you need to ask yourself, did that accomplish what I, did it work? <laughs> did it work? What I was trying to accomplish, did my redirection, did my kiss, did my, did it work? If the answer is no, then don't do it again. <laughs> Look guys, what's the definition of insanity? Repeating the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. I love my clients, guys. I love you guys. I really do. Um, even right right now, I'll admit, I'll admit there are times, and everybody, everybody can admit this, there are times you sometimes have difficult clients. Right now, I don't have any difficult clients, and I love being able to say that. You have no idea what a pleasure it is to say that. I love working with everybody I have currently right now as my clients. Um, it's such a pleasure that I get to say that sometimes. Not always. A lot of times. For the most part, actually, I, I get to say that. I'm very lucky. Um, so I'm not picking on you guys because all of you out there, you're working hard right now, and I really appreciate that. I kind of have to you know, kind of tip of the hat to my clients out there right now. I want to say thank you to all you guys because really... It, it has been very nice lately that everybody has been doing their homework, everybody's been trying, and while you may not always gain the success right away you're looking for, you'll get there in the end if you keep doing this, if you keep working at it and you hone in on these details. So just, just thank you guys, everybody out there working so hard right now. Um, really, really nice, it is. And you know, I'm, look, I'm not gonna lie, it, kind of, it, gives, it gives me chills a little bit because the reason that I do this is to try to help dogs and help people. That's that's really at the end of the day what I enjoy doing is facilitating that change and it makes me feel good. And I think everybody out there, you should try to have a career in a job that at the end of the day makes you feel good, okay? Um, so thank you guys. Thank you, my clients, for making me feel good and I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> okay, so getting back to it, guys. Getting back to it, you have to ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish? Did it accomplish? Did it work? Did it work? And if the answer is no, then you have to do something different, whether that's redirecting differently, whether that's assessing, are you communicating with your dog in the right way? Those are those details. By session three, four, five, six, when I'm working with my clients, I have to teach them, okay, I'm not going to be here always, right? I need you guys to start assessing. What are you doing? Assessing the details. What are you not doing maybe, okay? It's so important that you start looking at those minor details. Look, the reality is, and, and, and you know, this is kind of a harsh truth, guys, but here's the reality with dogs and behavior, and this applies to every single one of you. Now, 
There is the exception. There are a few people out there who have dogs they've adopted, who have come with them with baggage, who have come with behavioral issues. By no fault of their own did they create it. So this applies to majority of you, <laughs> the vast majority of you. But guys, here, here's the reality. Your dog misbehaves because of you. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Your dog misbehaves or doesn't listen because of something you either are or not or are not doing. That's the cold, hard truth of it. And it's all these details. You have to be able to look at yourself and look at your training, look at the way you're walking your dog, you're communicating with your dog, you're talking with your dog, maybe too much. Um, <laughs> how you're using that leash. Are you using the right tools? You have to be able to look at yourself and go, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong to get this result? Because that's the reality of training. And that's why I have a job at the end of the day, because you're not doing something correctly. You're not, because if you were, your dog wouldn't be misbehaving or not doing what you want them to. Again, sometimes people adopt dogs and they come with this baggage by no fault of their own. Their dog's doing this and they're missing a piece of the communication puzzle. And that's fine. You know, you can't be knowledgeable in everything. You can't know how to train dogs and be a, a doctor or, you know, you can't know everything. And that's why I'm here. And that's why other people in my profession are here. We're here to help. We're here to assist. And we're here to bridge that gap in giving you those detailed pieces that you're missing to your puzzle. Okay? So the first thing you need to look at when it comes to the details of training your dog is are you using the right tools? Because as I talked about at the beginning of this segment, um, that client, man, I just, I love what a difference what a difference she has made for herself and her dog just by changing the training tools that she was using and using the right tools and what a different result instantaneously that she's getting because of it. So that first thing, it's so important, guys. Uh, and again, you can go back and check out my segment on training tools and hear more about all the different tools there are and what you maybe should or shouldn't be utilizing to help train your dog. Okay, so that's those training tools. The second thing we have to think about when it comes to the details is that communication. Are you communicating properly with your dog? I want you to ask those three questions. What do I want to behave? What do I want to accomplish behaviorally right now? Did it work? Did whatever I did, training, redirecting, whatever you're utilizing to change that behavior. Second question is, did it work? And if it didn't, then you have to do something different. And so that third question is, are you repeating yourself over and over and getting the same result? <laughs> and if it's not the result you're looking for, you have to do something different, guys. You have to, have to, have to. I can't stress it enough, okay? So it's all about those details and understanding what you're doing. As I said at the very, very beginning of this segment, it starts with understanding the concepts. Honestly, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing you need to do is give yourself an understanding of the concepts of psychology and how they apply to you and your dog in every day and working with them in training. Then we dive into the details of the training tools, of communication, of those little things that were missing, okay? Another big detail, one more thing that I really want to touch on today is focus. Yes, focus. Guys, when you've got a dog and you're starting your training process, you need to almost feel a little bit like a drill instructor on how much you are manipulating and controlling their focus at all times, okay? It's, I think, the biggest detail that all of my clients miss out on, the largest one, without a doubt, is the focus. Give you an example. We're out on the walk and we decide to take a break or maybe we come across a friend and we're standing still and we're chatting. What is your dog doing when you're standing still and talking? 
is he or she all over the place? Are they sniffing and kind of circling you and getting you tangled in it? Or are they kind of hanging out and chilling with you? If it's the first one, then your dog doesn't have focus. I can guarantee it. Then you don't have your dog's focus and you don't have the ability to guide and direct and manipulate it. Okay, I don't need my dog to be a perfect little soldier and sitting next to me and staring up at me and waiting for me to, to, to move. You know, I don't need that. But what I need is somewhere in the middle, hanging out with me. Okay, that's the first little kind of detail thing I look for is what does your dog do when you stop? <laughs> because if they're all over the place, then you don't have their focus. How about when you walk out the front door? Do you have your dog's focus or is your dog pulling you out the door? And I love it. I love the excuse of, well, it's, oh, he's got a pee. So I let him pull me until we get to the grass. So then I usually bring it with a follow-up question and go, does he pull you at any other point on the walk? Well, yeah. So let me see if I understand this. You started your walk. You set the precedence by saying, hey, please pull me to the grass. And he continues to pull you on the walk. I wonder why. <laughs> the details, guys, the details. If you let your dog pull you here, guess what? He thinks he's going to be able to pull you there, okay? It's these details that add up. And honing in on that focus, honing in on that focus is the biggest thing you do. Look, if I open the front door, my dog knows to sit and stay and look up at me and wait until I release him. Guess what he's not going to do once we walk out the door? Bolt him, say, forget you, buddy, because I'm controlling that focus before we even leave, okay? So make sure, make sure you are spending an exorbitant amount of time on being able to control and redirect your dog's focus. I've talked about it previously, the little things you can do uh, to, to gain focus, okay? You can go back and listen to other segments where we, we dive more into detail on it, but guys, I can't stress it enough. The biggest detail, the largest detail that you need to be honing in on with your dog is their focus. If you do not have the ability to guide and direct that focus under most any circumstance, most any, can't be, can't expect perfection. They're not robots. But if you don't have that ability, forget it. Forget the walks. Forget everything else. Forget being able to control greetings. Forget it. You have to be able to control their focus first. Then we can greet people. Then we can greet dogs. Then we can do all that other stuff. But without a doubt, without a doubt, the biggest detail you need to concentrate on with training your dog, let's say it one more time, is the ability to guide and direct focus, okay? So again, if you hone in on all these different things, if you hone in on the training tools, if you hone in on your communication, and if you hone in on guiding and directing their focus, those three things, guys, I promise you, those details will add up to the much larger picture and help you take your training to the next level with your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. 
the nature of training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's a brief history of the AKC. In the 1800s, the popularity of dogs and dog breeding, it was at an all-time high. Throughout England and the United States, many different cities and dog enthusiasts had actually taken it upon themselves to create breed and kennel clubs. As the number of clubs grew around the country, there was definitely a clear need for a central governing body. Now, it was on September 17th, 1884 that a group of 12 sportsmen gathered in a meeting room of the Philadelphia Kennel Club. Each of these 12 men, they were delegates from dog clubs that had held dog shows or field trials with standards and regulations. So clearly they had had some experience um, with showing dogs, breeding dogs, and it was this meeting that actually solidified the start of the American Kennel Club. The next meeting they held was at Madison Square Garden on October 22nd, 1884. And at this meeting, they set forth bylaws, elected a board. You know, really, they they did what it takes to become a legitimate organization, right? Now, at first, the organization, they moved around from city to city with different meetings held in different areas because there wasn't really a central office. But by 1887, they were working out of a little humble one-room place in New York with just a desk, some chairs, and one filing cabinet. Now, interestingly enough, one catalyst that really helped the AKC grow, you know, really helped get the information out there about what they were doing, uh, it was the creation of the Gazette. And the Gazette is a dog magazine that's still being published today, and it's one of the oldest dog mag- uh, magazines still in circulation. Now, early dog shows that were set forth by the AKC, they resembled the structure and the rules of shows of uh, in England, of course, because that's where it was being done first. But by the early 1900s, many changes were being made to create the American standards and American rules. Now, one of these standards was in 1923 with the creation of the best in breed and then the best in show. They separated several breeds uh, several breeds into five groups, the first being the sporting group, which also included the hounds at that time, the working dogs, terriers, the toy group, and the non-sporting dogs. The best of breed winners were then judged against uh, the other groups to determine the best in show. Now, the Westminster Kennel Club, they were the first club to actually implement the best in show under the new format. Many more changes and standards were implemented over the years to culminate into what is what the AKC has become. Now, it serves as the governing body for over 22,000 sanctioned dog events each year. That is, that's a lot. (laughs) And these events, you know, they include dog shows, agility competitions, obedience, rally, tracking, lure coursing, and herding trials. You know, interestingly enough, it was in the 90s that the popularity of a lot of these events really started taking off. And, And it wasn't, you know, agility actually becoming one of the most popular uh, events that they hold, agility competitions were not actually recognized and regulated by the AKC until the 1990s. So very fascinating stuff. And the AKC was actually created to advocate for the purebred dog as a family companion, advance canine health and well-being, work to protect the rights of all dog owners, and promote responsible dog ownership. So really cool to see how, you know, in a very short amount of time, we went from the Victorian period in the 1800s, where a lot of people were breeding dogs out of, uh, you know, starting with necessity, and then and with that Victorian area, more more growing into a hobby, and it's really neat how we created all these clubs, and then it 
came into these governing bodies. And of course that helps regulate, uh, just like we said, dog, purebred dogs and all the dogs that are out there today. And of course, all these wonderful dog sanctioned events. So really good stuff that the AKC, AKC does out there. Um, maybe a little bit of uh, controversy over some of it, but you know something, they bring awareness to dogs. They bring awareness to the health and well-being, and it's all good stuff right there. So kind of some interesting little background on how the American Kennel Club came to be. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Portuguese Water Dog. Portuguese Water Dog, they're a member of the working group. Males can get from 40 to 60 pounds, and females come in at 35 to 50 pounds. Athletic, versatile, and affectionate, the Portuguese Water Dog has been a long-standing companion and worker for Portuguese fishermen for centuries. These dogs are smart and easy to train. They are lovable and great with children, so Porty makes an excellent family dog as well. Owners do need to be cautious around small children, ensuring that the dog is well socialized and knows physical boundaries. These dogs do have a lot of energy and they do need a lot of daily exercise. Walks, jogging, or swimming, they're happy to do it all. They can also accelerate at obedience and agility too. If properly exercised, the breed, well, surprisingly, they can adapt to a variety of wide environments from, you know, single family homes to apartments. They really can do well as long as you put in that exercise. And speaking of putting in exercise and putting in time, if you put in the time, they are very easy to train and eager to please. Generally, they're a healthy breed. Owners should always do their research, though, to find a responsible and reputable breeder. Medium level of grooming is necessary to keep their coats and skin healthy. Of course, we always want to be checking those ears, making sure that they're free of debris and dirt. Now, the Portuguese water dog is a relatively old breed, and it most likely owes its origins to the Romans. As we've talked about here before on the Breed of the Week, the Romans brought their dogs with them as they expanded the empire, and uh, the dogs that that their dogs then bred with local dogs of the villages and towns that they conquered, and this created a wide variety of breeds. Now, along the way, the breeds were then developed into more specific breeds, you know, with specific needs in the areas as they needed, and that's how we came to develop a lot of the breeds that we know today. Now, Portuguese fishermen were using dogs for centuries to retrieve fish, lost tackle in the water, and even swim messages back and forth boat to boat. This dog came to be known as Cao de Agua, or dog of the water, which is what we know the Porty as today. Their intelligence and high drive to work, it made them a perfect fit for working in the waters, but they also possessed a loving, calm, and affectionate side that made for the perfect companion out on the seas. Porties do have a similar look to that of the poodle, and there's a good reason why. The poodle is actually a distant cousin of the Portuguese water dog, and although poodles were developed way over in Germany, they, like their Portuguese cousin, were bred as the ultimate water dog. Now, you know, with doing a little bit of research and looking around about Portuguese water dogs, I come across the word hypoallergenic being thrown around left and right, so I just want to touch on this again for a moment, guys. Hypoallergenic dogs do not exist. It's not a thing. And unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of these websites saying this is a hypoallergenic dog. And it's just not true. Okay. Porties have hair versus having fur. Okay. Most people are allergic to fur dander. And there are certain breeds of dogs, of course, with certain fur, certain lengths of fur, uh, uh, certain coats that are going to give off more fur dander than others. And that's why some of the, you know, quote unquote designer breeds that we're now seeing, the doodles, maybe I've even seen porties mixed with a couple other things. 
dogs that have hair are being mixed and bred with dogs that have fur. Therefore, it reduces the amount of dander, and people that are allergic to dogs tend to have a better tolerance of them. Does it mean a dog is hypoallergenic? No. So I just wanted to spell that, that the Portuguese water dog is not a hypoallergenic dog for the simple fact that a hypoallergenic dog doesn't exist. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Grant from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Grant asks, My girlfriend and I recently moved into a new house, and our dog has started howling every time we leave. He never did this in the old house, but the second we walk out the door in the new one, he starts. How do we get him to stop? Well, Grant, you know, there's a couple different ways we want to tackle this, but the first and best easiest way to tackle this is increase the amount of exercise that you're doing with your dog. You know, um, it, it, you you may not be walking at all. <laughs> would be, it would be one of my guesses because, you know, if they have the energy to be anxious, they can and might and will be uh, dogs, you know. So you definitely want to increase the amount of exercise you're doing. Now, of course, please go back, listen to how to walk your dog properly, because as I always say, and may sound like a broken record if you've heard my podcast before, but you have to do the walk properly, okay? Walks are 85% mental. 15% physical. Make sure you're honing in on that focus on that mental side of the walk and getting your dog mentally engaged. It's going to go a lot further toward tiring them out. You really need your dog to be nice and tired when you leave. Uh, that would be the first way I would go about tackling something like that is getting their energy drain. Now, it's not to say you can't go toss a tennis ball. You can't play with them because by all means, as much exercise as you can get in in a healthy way uh, to get your dog physically and mentally tired that's going to go a long way towards settling him down when you leave, making him feel more comfortable. Now, being that it's a new environment, it sounds like maybe that's where the separation anxiety has started. And that's why even more so it's important to exercise them um, in this new environment, you know, walk them and walking them around your new neighborhood, getting him familiar with the scents, the smells, all that good stuff. That's all going to come into play to helping as well, because it does sound like this is some separation anxiety out of, hey, I'm in a new environment. Maybe I'm not so comfortable. Um, now, another thing to consider is the crate, okay? Even if your dog is a full-grown adult dog and ha hasn't been crated for a while, maybe consider going back to the crate for a little while. Put the crate in a bedroom that's not near where you're leaving. You know, put it in a bedroom like your master bedroom. I'm fine with that. Put it in the bedroom with you guys. Close the door, leave the TV on, a radio on, something like that when you leave so there's some white noise. And that way he's less likely to want to be listening in for you guys coming, going, okay? That can help as well. So I would hit it from two angles. I'd get him really tired, make sure you're exercising him, making sure you're going for a proper walk, taking care of that mental side first, right? Okay, and then the other way is definitely going back to the crate. You know, I always say with training, if we're ever working with a dog and we get to a point where we're not having behavioral success, I always want to go back to one of the last places that I did have behavioral success. So even if it's, four years ago, right? Even again, if your dog hasn't been in the crate for four years, uh, excuse me, if we did, if we had behavioral success crating the dog in the past and it calmed them down and relaxed them, 
then why not go back to it? Why not pull out that tool again if it got you behavioral successful before because it can help alleviate some of that anxiety. Providing that crate, providing that structure when you're not there can actually make your dog feel more comfortable. So again, two ways to hit this, exercise, exercise, go for a good quality walk, play with your dog, get them really tired before you're leaving. And then the other thing I would do is go back to a crate, creating that safe space uh, and not letting him be able to hone in on all those noises and, you know, look for trouble, if you will. <laughs> Next question. This comes from Angie from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Angie says, I have a limited amount of time in the morning to get my dog out and walk them and work with them. Uh, what can I do to maximize this time with him? You know, Angie, it, this is this is kind of a tough thing because you can't fully substitute um, you can't fully substitute playtime or any of those kind of things because obviously it's easier to just toss a ball in the house. Maybe even while you're eating breakfast, you're just sitting there tossing a ball with them, getting some of that energy out, but you can't substitute that for the walk. So depending upon your dog's breed size, those kinds of things, um, is it, it's going to p- depend upon obviously how much exercise you need. But look, I, the reality is there's no substitute. So if you have to wake up 20 to 30 minutes earlier to get them tired, to get on that walk, then maybe that's what you have to do. Uh, but there are the little things like, I mean, look, I'll be, I'll be, I was kind of serious. If you're sitting there eating breakfast, why not toss the tennis ball with your dog? You're sitting there doing nothing, having your breakfast anyway. You could be maximizing your time, you know, tossing that tennis ball with him, getting him extra tired, having some extra playtime. Okay. But really there's no substitute for a good quality walk. So there's another thing to consider, maybe hiring a dog walker, you know, maybe you can get in the time that you can when you leave, but you need a dog walker to come an hour or two or three after you're at work and come get that extra energy out. There's also doggy day camps that are a great option as well. Um, Look, you know, I know some people are busy. Some people work a lot. Some people have busier schedules and you still want to be able to have a dog, but you still want to be able to provide uh, that dog proper stimulation. I get it. You know, you're trying to find that balance and that's awesome. Um, But sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. So you're either going to have to choose to wake up a little bit earlier, maybe try to supplement some of your morning time with, like I said, just tossing that tennis ball when you're not really doing much, but maybe eating food or something like that. Um, you can also start to create a routine and, and what I mean is give your dog, um, you know, like I've talked about going to a spot, right? Doing tricks. You could run through a routine in the morning with your dog. Something as simple as maybe running down to the end. Granted, I know it's 2021. Maybe not everybody's getting the newspaper anymore, but teach your dog to go down to the end of the driveway, grab the newspaper, bring it back to you. Give them an extra job to do in the morning, something that you can even maybe incorporate into your routine. That way you're maximizing your time a little more and it gives them a little, it gives him a little more structure, gives him an extra job to do before you leave for the day. Um, so adding in extra jobs, maybe waking up a little earlier, getting that extra exercise in, maximizing your time with extra play time while maybe you're just eating your breakfast or not doing much. Uh, maybe you're just taking that 10 extra minutes to sit on the couch and watch some TV in the morning. I get it. You got to have some you time, got to have some me time, all good, but maybe you can maximize that with playing with the dog. But again, then there's that other option of doggy day camps, hiring a dog walker. Uh, Really, that's the best way I think to try to maximize your time is trying all those like little tips right in there. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the fastest flying bird in the world? It's the peregrine falcon. Able to dive at almost 200 miles an hour, they are not only the fastest bird, but also the fastest animal on Earth. 
that'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, be sure you go ahead and do so and leave us that amazing five-star review if you love what you're hearing. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Oh, 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 oh